0: let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. While you are turning there, if for any reason you happen to miss last week's teaching, which was the end of chapter 20, which was verses 11 through 15 on the great white throne judgment, if you missed that, let me encourage you to go to our website or our YouTube channel and listen to that. Uh, I had finished up down at horizon fitchburg gotten in the car and right as i got in the car it popped up on my phone saying you know the the message was posted so i listened to it on my drive home which was about an hour and i was overwhelmed and amazed at uh, the message that was given last week by pastor mitch so let me encourage you to go back and listen to that that was a great great message a great encouragement so today we are in revelation chapter 21 the next chapter, and so we're going to just look at the first eight verses today. So let's read it together uh, in your Bible, if you have it with you, or we'll have uh, the words up here on the screen as well. Revelation 21, verse 1 reads as follows, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, And all liars shall have their part in the lake, excuse me, in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. And as we look into it this morning, we trust that you will minister to us, that you will speak to us, Lord, that you will open our minds to understand these amazing and wonderful things that are contained here for us. Lord, as the Apostle Paul said after you gave him a vision of heaven, things too wonderful for us to consider. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love being around positive and encouraging people. I hope you do as well. But sometimes when you're around people like that, you get the sense that they're just a little bit artificial and syrupy, don't you? But I don't like that part of it. But I like like being around positive and encouraging people. And there was a phrase that a few years ago a friend of mine was using and I felt like it kind of got worn out and I kind of got a little, you know, wasn't happy when it was used. And that phrase was, the best is yet to come. But this chapter, chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, let me just tell you something. The best is yet to come. Because chapter 21 begins a new section of time and history. A time when everything that our faith has told us, uh, the Word of God tells us, you know, we, the word hope is a Bible word. Hope is not I, I, like I hope I win the lottery. It's not like gambling, it's not this uncertain thing. Hope in the Bible means a certain confident expectation of future good. And so, Revelation chapters 21 and 22 is a a summation, it's a consummation of hope. It's where everything old is gone. Sin is gone. Sin is no more. There's no more anything that can Pollute God's creation. In reality, we could say that Revelation 21 is like a new Eden on earth. If you go back and you read the beginning of the book of Genesis, after God had created the earth and then he made Adam and then Eve, and in those early days before the fall of man when Adam and Eve sinned, in those days there was perfection, there was perfect unity between God and man, there was no sin on the earth. And so Revelation 21 restores all of that. It's the new Genesis. It's a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, verse 1 here, as we read it, says, Now I saw a new heaven. This is John. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. So John is being allowed to see something as he's been all the way through the, the revelations given to him by Jesus Christ and, and by the angels. He's looking at this going, I, I almost can't believe what I see. In fact, in this little passage here, as we get to a point, the angel has to say to him, hey, John, yo, yo write, keep writing. It's not over yet. There's things that have yet to be recorded. And so the history of time is finished And the history of eternity is beginning here with Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. You and I are about to see something in these two chapters that we've been longing for and living for as believers. And this is true for every believer. Folks, this is what we're living for. This is what we're longing for. This is what we're hoping for. Sometimes we talk about, you know, the rapture of the church and all of that. Yeah, that's important. That's a part of the sequence of events that get us there. But that's not the end. Revelation 21 and 22, this is the end. This is our destiny. This is where we're headed. This is where we're going. We talk about spending eternity with God in heaven. In the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We talk about experiencing that scene in Revelation 4 and 5, uh, where there's worship around the throne. That's, That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And so he says here, I saw this new heaven and this new earth. One author said this about this this last section of the book of Revelation. These concluding chapters of the book of Revelation are so important because they take our focus off everything that is temporary and they place it on that which is eternal. They remind us that even the blessings of the millennium are temporary. As good as the millennium was for the thousand years that Jesus ruled and reigned on the earth while Satan was bound... Remember, the end of the millennium, he had to be let out for a little while. And we've, we've looked at that. But now, in Revelation 21, everything is made new. I don't know what home is to you. Some of us, you know, when we're away traveling or something like that, we can't wait to get back home, right? And whatever your idea of home is, the perfect home, the perfect home setting, and I'm sure we all have it in our minds, this is so much better. The home we have here on earth, I mean, it's nothing. It pales in comparison. I mean, words don't do justice to compare what home is to you and to me. And of course, when you think about people across different cultures, what home is to them. Sometimes we come up with these wonderful little sayings like home is where the heart is, right? Or a house is just a house until there are people in it and then you make it a home. Or a home is where you make memories together. Well, those are all temporary things. Those are all short-term things. Those are all things that in the grand scheme of things don't mean anything unless... They're centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Unless our homes are altars where we worship God, they're just homes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as we enter this, this section here where John sees a new heaven and a new earth, we find this written, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. So God has prepared this. And this is what we're walking into as we read these last two chapters. And I would encourage you, you know, sit down over this next week and just read through these last two chapters over and over and over because this is where we're headed. This is the thing that we're living for. You know, we are told all throughout the Scriptures that we are strangers and pilgrims and aliens on this earth and that we are not to make our home here, that we are not to sink our roots here in this world. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are told this about the saints, starting in verse 13, "...these all died in faith, not having received the promises," Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can we all agree this morning? This world is not our home. It's not. Maybe we need to get shaken up about that right before Christmas as we start to saying to people, What do you want for Christmas? Give me your list. See, this world is not our home. Anything that can be made can be burned. And it is going to burn in the consummation of all things before we get to heaven. Why? Because none of it matters. None of it matters. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. At the end of that chapter, we find in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am also known. There will be this removing of the veil. There will will be this... Revelation of Jesus, such as we've never seen Him. And even as we read the book of Revelation, which means the unveiling, even as we read it, John, throughout this book, throughout this letter, he writes over and over and over using the terms like and as, trying to find human language to convey what he's seeing with his eyes. And remember, Paul, I alluded to this earlier in 2 Corinthians uh, he said these words here, I want to read them to you, Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I know a man, he's sort of speaking in third person about himself, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul experienced something there. Remember as Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7 was being stoned right before he died, right before they threw those last few stones and knocked him out and killed him. He stood there looking up into heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And they got so enraged by that because they're like, there's no way a man could see God and live. And so they threw the rocks even harder. They did their split-finger fastball on those rocks to make them impact even more. And yet he saw Jesus. And so we are going to see Jesus. We're going to come into his presence in such a way here in the millennial, beyond the millennial kingdom into this new heaven and this new earth. And we're going to see him. 1 John 3.2, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All judgments are concluded. No more judgments. The words new heaven and new earth mean new as in fresh, new as in character, not new as in time. This isn't just the next one. This is the best one. This is the only one that we should be living for. This is the the new heaven and the new earth that God has intended for us. This is what we were saved for and what we are saved unto. What we read in Revelation 21 and 22. If we take a moment and we compare and contrast the book of Genesis with the book of Revelation, here's what we see. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the heavens and the earth were created. In Revelation 21, we see the new heavens and the new earth are brought into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that the sun is created. And then later in chapter 21, where we won't get to it today, we'll find out there's no need for the sun in this new city, this heavenly Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus himself will be the light. In Genesis chapter 1, we find that night is established. But here we're told, in chapter 22, there will be no night. There will be no circadian rhythm. There will be no sunrise and sunset. There will only be the sun. In Genesis chapter 1, the seas were created, but here we're told that there are no more seas. For various speculative reasons, God has chosen that there would not be a sea in the new heaven and the new earth. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the curse is announced because of the sin of mankind. But in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, we're told there is no more curse. It's gone. Again, in Reve- excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, that's where death entered the scene. Physical death, the limiting of man's lifespan, the marring of the character and the, the vision of man has been taken down because of sin. And here in chapter 22, we're told that man is restored to paradise. And in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that sorrow and pain enters the world for the first time. But in verse 4 here of chapter 21, we're told that there's no more tears And there will be no more pain. In Isaiah 65, I think that this this is a, a, a forerunner of this passage. We find in Isaiah 65 these words where God is speaking. He says in verse 17, "...Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind." But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people as a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her nor the voice of crying. That's what God is doing. He's making all things new. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we're told in a similar way and this is speaking of the coming of the day of the Lord, uh, speaking of the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat nevertheless we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells the fulfillment of second peter 3 is happening in revelation chapter 21 paul spoke of a similar thing and these things all point to the same thing in revelation excuse me romans chapter 8 <clears throat> here he says in verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The fulfillment of Romans eight eighteen through 22 is found in Revelation chapter 21. And there's other places we could go. Time doesn't permit us. Those were just a few of the highlights of where God gives us those foretastes of things that are coming. And in verse 2 here, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, we've been spoken of, the church has been spoken of as a bride up to this point in time, ready to, for her groom, who is Jesus. But now God is bringing the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem down. We'll get into that next week. And he says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I think in this moment that God is probably fulfilling for us what he promised to us via Jesus in the upper room where he said, I go and prepare a dwelling place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. And so when we see that new heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for us, man, we're going to see our dwelling place as God is bringing it to us to forever and ever be with Him in His presence. This is what Revelation chapter 21 is ushering in as a new era of eternity for us to live in and to experience. This is the Jerusalem of hope, the Jerusalem from above, the place where our real citizenship is to be located. There are seven things we're told here in these two chapters that are new things in the new eternal state that we will experience. We're told that there's a new heaven, that there's a new earth, that there's a new Jerusalem, that there's a new world order. That there's new light and that there is a new paradise. And these are things that God is giving to us. One commentator said, just so we can keep this in perspective, this is speaking of as God's giving us the new Jerusalem, God's personal relationship with his people and the life of the people in communion with him. And so why is God doing all of this? So that we can live together with him forever and ever. He's doing this so that we can experience pure and holy and righteous relations with Him. Unmarred by sin. Can you imagine ever going through a day and communicating with someone where something wasn't going wrong in your head? I mean, don't we always... Tell me this is not true, right? Where we, sometimes somebody says something and we're like, well, what do they mean by that? Right? Anybody ever do that? I'm sure at least one of us in here does that. But can you imagine living in such a, a perfect relationship with someone, with God, and with each other, that we'll, these things won't be a problem? Communication won't be a problem. Sin won't be a problem. When this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, this will be the first time since Eden. Eden that there has been perfection on earth. I don't even know how many years that goes back. The Jewish calendar, we're in the year 59-something, I forget. So we're, we're 50, over 5,000, close to 6,000 years, if they're right, since the creation of the world, not billions. And here we are seeing this picture painted as John gives it to us of what God is doing to give to us this best, thing that God has prepared for us. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. I don't know if you write, highlight, or underline in your Bible, but I think you ought to do that to verse 3. The tabernacle of God is with men. God is coming to be with us. You know, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, which is for us as believers, this is what Christmas is about, right? It's not about presents. It's about the best and the only present that came from the throne of God above to us, his son, Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate the the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus to this planet. But here... The tabernacle of God is with men. The word tabernacle is dwelling place. When we read in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we read all that in John chapter, uh, Gospel of John chapter 1 through 4, verses 1 through 14. That word dwell is tabernacled. And God came to tabernacle among us. But here, this is the permanent tabernacle of God. It's easy to see when we remember the disciples, remember when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they were allowed to see as Moses and Elijah came and they fellowship with Jesus. And then Peter got all fired up and excited, and he was like, Oh, Lord, we just need to build three tabernacles, three dwelling places here one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We'll just sit out here in the rain and watch you guys. No, it's not that. That was just a foretaste of what's coming. This is what's coming. The tabernacle of God is with men. The presence of God. The fellowship of God. The unbroken fellowship with God. Can you imagine a time when you weren't thinking about what you have to do tomorrow morning after the holiday is over to go back to work and what you're walking into? No more, right? The only priority you will have is fellowship with God. That's it. God will take Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, God with us, Emmanuel, and He's going to make it a permanent thing for you and me. Verse 4. He says here, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, Nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The emphasis here is on the comfort of God and what He brings to you and me. God will dwell with us. We shall be His people. He will be our God. No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. This is not a repair job. This is not an overhaul. This is not a renovation. This is a brand new creation. The new Jerusalem is new. In addition to telling us what will be in heaven, John also gives us seven things that will not be in heaven, that will not be in this eternal state. There won't be a sea, there won't be any death, there won't be any mourning. There won't be any crying, there won't be any pain, there will be no night, and there will be no curse. When it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, we could think of so many things, right? The different kinds of tears we have cried over the years, tears of, of bereavement and grieving over the death of someone. Tears of sympathy and mercy that we've cried over people. Tears of disappointment as people have let us down. Tears of persecution for people who, for simply saying, I believe in Jesus, have been tortured and put to death. Tears of neglect. Tears of abuse. Tears of yearning for what cannot be ours, whatever that may be. There's so many tears, types of tears, reasons tears come. But the word tells us here, there will be no more tears. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are told in the Psalms in particular that God stores our tears in a bottle. You see, our tears matter to God just as much as our prayers matter to Him. He keeps track of them. He, he understands. And I don't know why He does that, except I have to wonder when you get to Revelation 21.4 if it's not so He can say, as He holds up that bottle of tears with our name on it and says, I'm imagining, right? I don't know this to be true. But as He says, the, these were, were not for nothing." Right now, we're going to make it all go away. We're going to make it all right. God is going to do these things. God is going to bring comfort such as we have never known comfort before. Verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Not just a few things, all things. And he said to me, right, for these words are true. And I imagine, of course, John was just probably in awe at everything that he was seeing and experiencing so many times throughout here. You could go back and look it up all the times that that the angel or someone had to speak to John and say, right, right, come on, right. So that we would have these things to be reading. Listen to these scriptures that take this idea of God making things new. And what he does, bringing it forward to this eternal state, this new heavenly perfect state that we will be living in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Consummated in Revelation 21. Remember when Jesus said in the Gospels, no one puts new wine into old wineskins else the new wine bursts. Uh, the, the uh, wine skins the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. Can you imagine if He tried to take us and these bodies and set us in that perfect setting? See, First Corinthians 15 says that we are going to get a heavenly resurrected body. Our redeemed man, our redeemed being, which we have right now through the blood of Christ on the cross... We live in unredeemed flesh. This is part of what Romans 8 tells us about. But the time is coming when our redeemed person will be living in a redeemed body in the new heaven and the new earth. You remember when Jesus said at the, the Lord's table as, we, uh, as He instituted it, He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Later in that same passage, he says, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then when the church would come on the, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit would come and the church would be born, he said, They will speak with new tongues. You see, God is always doing something new. And these new things that he's doing is but a foreshadow. They're pointing us in a direction. They're like big giant signs all pointing us to Revelation 21 and 22, to the day when the best arrives for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, speaking of our salvation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have that now, but we have it now as a foreshadowing of the perfect, which has not yet come. Hebrews 9.15, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And then in Revelation chapters 5 and 14, we find this happening. We've already talked about this. And they sang a new song around the throne of God. And these new songs we do here, you know, that all churches do is, you know, we come across things that, you know, to us kind of freshly help us understand the glory of God and to sing praise to him in a way that just refreshes our spirit. When we get to heaven, we're not going to need a hymn book. We're not going to need screens to project lyrics on. It's just going to be there. And we're all going to sing in unison. There's not going to need to be a director up there doing this, telling us when to come in. It's all going to be a perfect unity, a perfect harmony of being in fellowship with God and worshiping Him in such a way that is so beautiful. One commentator wrote this, and I like the way he said it. Our instinct is to romantically consider innocence, which is where we'll be when we get into heaven like that, as man's perfect state and wish that Adam would have never done what he did. But we fail to realize that redeemed man is greater than innocent man, and we gain more in Jesus than we ever lost in Adam. You see, Jesus is so perfect his redemption so complete that he's made us, the blood of Christ has made us what God has always wanted us to be. And in verse 6 of Revelation 21, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. There are three great it is finished statements in in the Bible on the cross where Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. At Armageddon where he said it is done at the end of the battle of Armageddon in uh, Revelation 16, the the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from, uh, from the throne of God saying, It is done. And then here, in this verse 6 of Revelation 21, a new world order is established. Three times he said, it is done. But this is the it is done, done statement. This is the capstone of all of that. Jesus has said over and over in the book of Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what he's saying there is very simply, I was there in Genesis one. And I'm here at the end of Revelation 22. In fact, as we look there, Revelation 22, verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's the end of the book. He said, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Who is the person who thirsts? It's that person who realizes who Jesus is. It's that person who gets saved, who gets born again, who comes to Christ. Sadly, not all come to Christ, right? And many of us, if not all of us, are praying for someone or we know someone who doesn't yet know Christ. And we want them to know Christ. We pray that they would know Christ. We do our best to be a good witness. Sometimes it doesn't work so well for us because we're flawed, frail human beings on this side of, 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 of eternity. But we want it to happen. We want to see them coming. And so, so often, at least this is my prayer, Lord, in spite of me, would you bring someone along who can witness to them in in the way that they need to hear and see it, so that they will come to faith and believe in you? Jesus answered, John chapter 4, to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, meaning regular water from your faucet or from the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. That's the New Testament. In the Old, the prophet Isaiah was given an insight into this. Isaiah 55, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. where's the the place to get the best food, the best water it's in it's God himself, it's in his presence and in verse seven he says, "He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son." Now, in the seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus said in his his postscript to all those churches, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. The word overcome means to persevere or to stay faithful to the end. In other words, don't give up. Don't give up. I was so glad my friend reached out to me yesterday as I mentioned that to you earlier. So sad he's in that state at the moment, but I also have been in that state myself on many occasions. And so what was my pleasure, I wish I could have been there in person with him and put my arm around his shoulder as we prayed. But to overcome, to persevere, to stay faithful, to not give up because we hit a bump in the road because something happens. And that something can be anything. It can be the death of someone in our life. It could be some, someone getting in our face and telling us that we're a loser. And shouting obscenities at us. I've had all those things happen. It could be anything in between. It could be losing a job. I've been through that. These things can cause you at times to feel so dejected and so unworthy. And yet it says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And what is this talking about? Is this talking about pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of faith? I don't think so. I think it's saying that we place our faith in God. Because the only way we make it to the end is by clinging to Him. By crying out to Him. Just as we read in the psalm this morning, the only place we can find peace and safety and rest is in the presence of the Lord. We don't get there by our own efforts. We don't get there because we trained and we can run marathons or we've, we've trained with the seals or anything like that. That's not what gets us there. What gets us there is clinging to the the cross. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. It's not by works lest any man should boast. It's by faith in Jesus. That's how we overcome. And notice as he says here in in verse 8, and we come back to sort of this negative stuff, but the the point of verse 8 as we read this together is that There's not going to be anything that is impure in heaven. There will be no mark of sin, no mark of evil in heaven. Verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, one thing that's going around today, it's on social media. I I hear people who are podcasters, you know, and talking to people about this. You know, there is this push from the left and from liberalism to say, you know what, uh, as more and more churches, in my opinion, are doing this in a very ungodly and biblical way, they're saying, in an effort to reach out to people and to build a bridge to them to their sin, they're saying, your sin is acceptable, And see, the issue is not that our sin is acceptable. We're only acceptable to God by the blood of Christ. Now, all who sin, and all are sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, regardless of your individual specific sin, anyone can hear the gospel. Anyone can respond to the gospel. But this is talking about people who don't repent, who don't come to God and admit that they're wrong, and going against the, the holiness of God and the moral law of God. One of the things that's so common out there today is the term gay Christian. And I am here to tell you, based on this verse, there is no such thing as a gay Christian. Any more than you can say that there's a, an alcoholic Christian. Or, you know, put your adjective in front of it. And it's not because I don't like people who sin. I, you know, The Bible says over and over and over, hey, listen, and such were some of you. Where would I be without Christ? I would probably would have been dead a long time ago, to be honest with you. But I know that I wouldn't be here doing this. I would be out there in the middle of, I mean, I was, before I came back to the Lord, I was just party central. Wherever the party was is where I was. And that's where I would have been, apart from Christ. And so this is what God says. This is not the judgment of a man. This is, this is the words of God. And so what he's saying here, very simply in verse 8, is he's saying, look, there's not going to be any impurity in heaven. We won't have to deal with any of it. The new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth will be a place of absolute perfection. There will be no sin, just as there was no sin prior to the fall of man in the garden. As we look down this list here, the cowardly or the fearful, the timid, the faithless, the unbelieving, those who don't believe the gospel, they don't trust in God. The abominable, that word means detestable, abhorrent, foul, a stench. Disgusted, polluted with crimes, so offensive you have to turn away from them. Murderers, obviously, people who commit homicide, who kill other people. The sexually immoral, and there's a whole list there, uh, whoremongers. Pornos, a man who prostitutes his body or a woman who prostitutes her body. Sorcerers, that word is pharmakia, drugs, spells, potions, poison, magicians, sorcerers, people who prepare magical remedies, people who read tarot cards, any of those kinds of things. Idolaters, people who worship an image other than God. A covetous person is a worshiper of mammon, riches, or wealth. All liars, that is anyone who is untrue, who is deceitful, and who is false. Now, this doesn't mean that people who have committed these sins, but again, rather those who are unrepentant and who are unconverted and who refuse to give in to the grace of God. So here's here's the situation. For all of those who are sinners of whatever category, it's very simply this. Jesus Christ died for the sin of mankind. He died for your sin. He died so that you could have a relationship with God. He paid the penalty for your sin. He did it so that you could be in the very presence of God the Father and not be obliterated by the flames of judgment. That's what the blood of Christ does for you and me. And if you want to be a believer in Jesus, if you want to be in his kingdom, if you want to be in his presence, if you want to be in Revelation 21 and 22, if you want to be in heaven, there's only one way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And here's the thing. It's not about what we're giving up as if we're giving up something great, like we're giving up a million dollars or we're leaving some, some lavish lifestyle behind and all of that. No. it's it's We're giving up our sin to gain heaven. We're giving up our sin to gain Jesus. And there is no comparison. The problem is, in our minds... We have this value system that's, that's skewed and warped. It's not about what this world and what this life says is okay and acceptable and you know the American dream or whatever it is in your mind that success and happiness looks like. If we allow this book, which, which for us as believers, this is supposed to be the final matter and all, the final authority in all matters pertaining to life and godliness, if that's our mindset then heaven, Revelation 21 and 22, that's it, that's where it's at. And there's only one way to get there and that's through the blood of Christ. By believing and receiving. Finally, to wrap this up, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said these words, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. What is he saying? The sin of blasphemy, as Jesus talks about it here, is resisting the work of the Spirit and drawing a person to Christ. And so for anyone who resists that work of the Spirit, you know, sometimes people resist it for years and then they capitulate, they give in. But he's saying when this is all over, and we talked last week about the great white throne judgment and the the Bema Seat of Christ. The Bema Seat of Christ is for believers where we go before him and we are given rewards for the deeds done in the flesh. But it's not a judgment unto damnation. It's a a judgment meaning a reward. It's it's an awarding of things to us uh, and things that we don't understand about how, you know, We will be in heaven before God and all of that. But then there's the great white throne, which is the place you don't want to be. It's Your book is not written in the Lamb's book of life, and your name is written in some other book where God has kept track of all of your sinful deeds. And as Pastor Mitch so eloquently pointed out last week, when we see in the Gospels, and it says that there was... When Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was customary through crucifixion for the person's crimes to be written on a piece of paper and nailed to that cross. And Paul brings this out for us in the book of Colossians where he says, and the handwriting of decrees against him and against us was nailed to that cross. And so when Jesus went to the cross, what was written up there for him was something like, you know, he, he received the wrath of God for the sin of the world because he said he is God. And Jesus took all of the burden of our sin, all of the wrath, all of the judgment so that we don't have to. It's called in, in glorious terms substitutionary atonement. You know, it's like in a courtroom you're going to be sentenced to life in prison because you killed somebody or to the, to the death sentence you know to the electric chair or something or lethal injection and someone steps in and says please let me take their place so that they can go live freely that's what jesus has done you see the best is yet to come and if you want to be in his presence in this new heaven and this new earth there's only one way to be there and it's by the blood of christ amen lord we love you we bless you this morning we thank you for speaking to us we thank you for how you've ministered to us. Lord, may this this passage of Scripture just speak to us. And as we go on and read the rest of it, Lord, may it just elevate us and help us to understand what you've done for us, Lord. At the end of the book, these last two chapters, they didn't come at no cost. They cost you everything. They cost you everything. Your son. They cost you the brutality of having the sin of the world laid on his shoulders. It wasn't just spiritually laid on his shoulders, it was physically laid on his shoulders. And he became the perfect Lamb of God, led to the slaughter on our behalf. And so, Lord, this morning I, I thank you that for those of us who know you, it's because of your grace and your mercy revealed to us for those who may be listening online or who are here who have never believed and received, and we just ask in this moment, God, it would be a holy moment for them that they would say, yes, Lord, I don't know what all this means, but I want to repent. I want to turn from my ways and I want to turn to you. God, forgive me, save me, redeem me. Lord, that's what we desire. Be merciful to us as sinners, God. And you have been. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.